Open your Bibles. We are back in the book of Nehemiah, and this week we are in chapter 6. Today we are really approaching uh, the spot in Nehemiah's life where he's ready to fulfill what he's known for, his greatest accomplishment. He is ready to fulfill building the walls of Jerusalem and creating a safe space for the Israelites to come back from their exile and reestablish themselves in the promised land. But he's not done quite yet. I mean, it's almost there, but as the saying goes, he's got to land the plane. And that's sometimes the most difficult part. You've completed the journey, but you've got to come and bring the plane in for a smooth landing. And that is true with any big project that any of us are a part of. You have to persevere. You have to make your way to the end. And let me give you a couple of examples where right near the end is maybe the most important part of the whole project, and you got to bring the project to a close. Some of you have done some home improvement. I have. And let's pretend, for instance, that you're doing a bathroom remodel. And the big pieces of it are done. The shower's put in. The mirror's hung. The faucets are in. But then you've got those little projects right there at the end, the touch-up paint. You know where you got that little bit of paint on the ceiling? You got to come back around and you got to touch up the paint. Or I'm going to speak to somebody right now, baseboards. How long will the baseboards stay off and not get in to complete the project? And how easy is that to happen because... Well, you just get drawn away to other things, right? Other things start taking precedence and you don't bring the project to completion, bring it home. Let me give you another example. Some of you are runners. In fact, I want a show of hands. Who has run a marathon today? Raise your hand if you've run a marathon. Look at around the room, man. Kudos to you that have run that marathon. I want to say thanks and good job to that. Uh, Okay, half marathon. I bet we have a few more. Half marathons. A lot of the same people, but a few more. All right, 5K, all right? Get a lot of hands up here, 5K. Walk to the, walk to the refrigerator. Uh, you know, I, you know, we'll have any number of them. Um, here's what I want to tell you about running a marathon. And, uh, you know, I've not run a marathon. I haven't even run a half marathon. Uh, so I, I, I don't know this personally, but I know this from talking with people. And here's what they'll tell you. You have a lot of training to do in order to run a marathon. You got to get your training schedule down. You got to work up your endurance. You've got to do, you know, as much running as you can. But then it comes to the day you're doing it. And about mile 22 of 26.2 miles, or maybe mile 24, you're like, whoa, can I do this? I've got to dig down. I've got to find another gear because I'm not completing the marathon until I complete that last two, three, four miles. And so I've done all that work. And now I've got to bring the marathon to a completion, and I've got to do that in order to be able to accomplish that. All right, one more example of something in which you have to persevere all the way to the end. We have some seniors here today. And there is this thing that happens about this time, if you're a senior, in your cycle of a year, and that thing is called senioritis. And it strikes you and tries to convince you that you have been in, you've been a student now for the majority of your living life and that you're almost near the end and you probably don't even really have to do anything more and you're going to graduate. Uh, wrong. You've still got 
papers to submit. You've still got tests to pass. And you've got to go all the way to the end in order to get the high school diploma. And so senioritis cannot come and steal that victory from you. You've got to stay on task and you've got to finish the job. You get the idea, whether it's business, whether it's personal life, schooling, whether it's athletics, if you've got a big project, you've got a big life goal, you have to persevere to the end. And why is this a big deal? Well, because there are things that will seek to derail you. There are sometimes internal things that are working against you. And if you have a big enough project, there will be even external forces. Sometimes people that will be trying to derail you from completing your assignment or your job. And that's where we pick up with Nehemiah today. Nehemiah is almost done. The walls are built the only job he has left is actually putting the gates on. And if you remember, I showed pictures of the walls in the past. There's little openings where you can walk into the ancient city, and there were usually some wooden gates or some wooden doors that came down, and at night they would drop those so that nobody could get into the ancient city, and that's all he has to put on. We just got to put the doors on in order to complete the project. We're almost there. I mean, we're practically to the ribbon cutting, right? I mean, that's all we have left. Just cut the ribbon and let's celebrate. But that's not where we are today in the story. We still have problems that are threatening us. I want to take you back again. Two weeks ago, we looked at them building the walls and they had problems there. And you remember that they, had to, that they were being, un, or being threatened to be attacked, and so they had a shovel in one hand and a spear in the other, and they said, you know, we've got to be able to defend ourselves as we prepare the walls for this city. And then last week, we had internal problems. You remember last week, we had individuals on the edge of starvation, and we had some money-hungry people that were stepping in the middle of that and were trying to take advantage of that. And so, again, he, Nehemiah steps into the middle of that, and he says, you know what, we're going to be in resolution to that, and we're going to restore uh, peace among our community by addressing the needs of these people. And so again, today, we come to the spot where all of that's in the past. We now have internal peace among our people. We have built the walls, and so we're done with that. But we still have a problem that's going to require our perseverance because there is some adversity that is still remaining. At this late date, there's still some adversity that's remaining and that's what we're going to find out about today. I'm in Nehemiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. And this is the way God writes it to us. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying... Come and let us meet together at Hakafarim. Boy, that's a mouthful. In the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should uh, the work stop while I leave and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the, uh, among the nations, uh, it is, excuse me, it's reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, 
that you and the Jews intend to rebel. And that is why you're rebuilding the wall. And according to the reports, you wish to become their king. And you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. In other words, you're getting ready to say that you're the king and that these prophets are announcing that. And now the king will hear of these reports, meaning the king that's back in Persia, King Artaxerxes. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done, for you are, uh, you are making these things up in your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will deep, drop the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands." Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delaiah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should a man such as I run away? And what should such a man as I go to the temple and live? I will not go, and I understand, understood that, that, and saw that God had not sent him. He had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose, he was hired that I should be afraid and act in a way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they have done, and also the prophetess Nodaiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Persevere. If you look it up in the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary, it means a continual effort to achieve something despite difficulties or opposition. Let me say that again. It is a continual effort to achieve something despite difficulties or opposition. What does it take to persevere? Nehemiah shows us, and I want to show you Three things that Nehemiah did today to persevere that we can also do when we are into a big project and we're maybe facing a level of opposition in doing it. He is going to teach us how to persevere. Number one, the number one thing that he does is he keeps his focus. You notice that our enemies are back again. These enemies have been repeatedly coming into our story. And the enemies are Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. And here's what they do. They know that the project is nearly done. There's no way to really stop the construction because, well, that's a fait accompli. That's going to happen. So if you're going to derail the project, what do you do now? Well, you derail the man that's a part of the whole project. So they set their sights on getting Nehemiah. So they come to him and they say, would you come and meet us? Well, actually, they don't. They send a messenger. The messenger comes and says, hey, these guys want to meet you on the plain of Ono. 
Now, again, we don't really know today where the plain of Ono is. We think it's kind of over by the coast. It's probably about a day's horse ride away. So won't you come meet us there? And, well, what are they thinking that Nehemiah will think? Well, I think they're probably thinking that Nehemiah will say, wow, finally these guys are ready to make peace, and so let me go meet with them, and, and, and we'll all make nice. Well, Nehemiah is smarter than that, and Nehemiah has figured something out. He's not going to fall for that because uh, Nehemiah knows something about the motives of these guys. Nehemiah just flat out tells them this. He says, uh, I've got the verse up here for us, verse 3, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. That is his response. And I want you to remember that response sometimes when you're doing a great work. In fact, I want you to say that with me. Here, here we go. One, two, three, ready? I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Let's say that one more time to do it together. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Nehemiah is doing a great work and he's like, why should I leave that in order to come to you and, and derail my attention and derail my efforts on this job? And if you are preparing to do a major job sometimes, you need to learn those words. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. In other words, no. No, I'm not going to derail myself from this important thing to do this less important thing over here. Saying no is an important part of completing an important assignment. Nehemiah also is discerning something else about their motives at this time because he says, if I go down to the plain of Ono, I know what they want to do. They want to hurt me. And the passage doesn't say this, but I think they're thinking about assassinating Nehemiah. What better way to take out the whole project than to take out the guy that's been a part of the whole thing? There's still some work to be done as far as the people of part of this. And so I think they're saying, you know, we'll just take Nehemiah out by assassinating him. Chances are good that people opposing you or your project are probably not trying to kill you. In other words, that's not the major threat for you. Although I will say this, there are brothers and sisters around the world that do face that very consequence of them continuing to pursue their faith in Christ or their building of a church. And I follow every year a, a report that's put out every year that tracks Christians around the world. And the study is just concluded for 2023. It just got done. And there's some statistics I want you to know about today. Here they are. Uh, the report on Christian persecution this last year that just came out in, for this year in 2024, 5,000 Christians were killed around the world for their faith. 4,000 were abducted. And by the way, these are very conservative numbers. The numbers are probably well north of that. But uh, anyway, the report comes out and says at least this many. There were 15,000 churches were attacked or closed last year around the world, and 295,000 Christians were displaced. In other words, their homes were either uh, burned or, or destroyed in some way, or they were threatened and had to leave their homes. The number one place where it's the most difficult to be a Christian around the world today, you might be able to guess it, maybe not, North Korea, number one on the list, and has been for more than a decade and so if you're trying to be a Christian, North Korea is a very, very difficult spot for that. There are many others that are almost as bad. 
But my point in bringing that to you is there are that kind of level of opposition that is in the world today. And we have to acknowledge that for many of our brothers and sisters around the world that are trying to punch it out. And their individuals are saying, we don't want you to have faith in Christ. We don't want you to build a church. We don't want you to have a, a Christian community around you. And so we're going to stop you or try to stop you from doing that. Your chances are good that that's not what you're facing, all right? You're not facing, uh, nobody's coming today and saying we can't meet together. Nobody's saying you can't pursue Christ. But here's what they are doing. They're showing you a level of disapproval. So they're disapproving of you and your faith. And they're gonna say things like this. They're gonna say things like you're narrow-minded. You promote hate. You don't affirm others. You applaud you don't applaud everything that the society is calling good. And so, again, you're going to face a level of disapproval for that. And why? Well, because you follow Jesus and because you follow the Jesus ethic. The teachings that Jesus gives us in the scriptures are you what you want to uphold. And therefore, that keeps a, creates a problem. You know, Jesus promised that if you follow him, you will be hated by the world. And, and we have to just take that to the bank. We have, have to expect that. Nehemiah kept his focus. And if you're going to complete an assignment of any magnitude, you've got to keep your focus. And I want you to notice something that happens in the passage. They don't come once. They come four times. The messenger comes four times and says, hey, come join us over here. We want to talk. And four times in a row, Nehemiah says, I'm a part of a great work. I'm sorry, I can't come down to you. And so four times he gives the response I can't come. And he kept his focus upon completing the work. Second, Nehemiah could only persevere if he avoided word games. And so let me explain to you what I mean by word games. Sanballat has another strategy to try to derail Nehemiah. It's very underhanded, by the way. And it says in the scriptures that this time around, they sent a messenger and they brought an open letter. An open letter. Now, what is an open letter? We've got to ask ourselves that question. In the ancient world, the way you sent messages was you got a piece of papyrus, you wrote your message on it, you rolled it up, and you put a stamp on it of wax with your seal. You took a, uh, somebody with those a messenger, he took it to the other person, they broke open the seal and then read the letter. And that's the way you knew that the message was sent to the individual and that it was a private message. It would be the equivalent of the letter today, right? We seal it up, and when the person opens it, they're breaking that seal. And you can tell if a letter's kind of been tampered with, it's like, hey, what's going on here? You know, there's a piece of tape over this, and that doesn't look right. So anyway, there's ways to detect that. Well, in this case, he didn't put any seal on it. He just sends the, the letter, the message, and in fact, he wants other people to read it. He wants other individuals to see that before it ever gets to Nehemiah, and he wants that to spread throughout society. What could be the message that could be that important that he wants everybody to read? Well, let's read that together. Here it is again. It's reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, which is, by the way, their friend, so not much credibility there, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall, and according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in, the, in Jerusalem, there's a king in Judah. So, in other words... You know, we know what you're up to, Nehemiah. You're trying to make yourself the king over Judah. 
And you're even going to announce that you're the king. And so you're creating this whole city in order for you to be the, the, the prime recipient of the power. And he says, you know what? I hope this gets to the king in Persia, King Artaxerxes, because he would probably have a thing or two to say about that. Now, what does Nehemiah do when they make that level of allegation? It's really interesting to see what Nehemiah does because Nehemiah knows that this is nothing more than a smear campaign. (laughs) There's no truth in it. He has not been doing that. And they want him to spend valuable energy in going and defending his character, going and defending his reputation. They hope he'll drop everything on the project and now go defend himself and therefore spend his resources in a different way. In fact, they probably think this. What if Nehemiah got so worried about King Artaxerxes back in Persia that he had to pull out of Judah, make his trek all the way back to Persia and go calm King Artaxerxes and say, I promise that's not what's happening. That would be fantastic. And we would see this project just dwindle if that's what Nehemiah went and did. This is what I want you to understand. If you're doing anything of significance at some point, somebody is going to malign you. They're going to say things that are not true. They're going to try to knock you off balance. They're going to try to discourage you. They are going to make every effort to somehow stain your reputation in order for you to have to go defend that and take your eye off the ball and your eye off the work. So what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah does something just fantastic. He says it's not true and he keeps on working. That's it. It's not true and he keeps on working. In fact, I've got this verse for us here. Then I sent to them saying, no such thing as you say has been done for you're all inventing them out of your own mind. In other words, you're just making this stuff up. And that's it. And he keeps on going and working. Now, what would happen today in our society if somebody started slinging arrows at somebody else and saying things about them that were slanderous? I can guarantee you what would happen. There would be a reverse campaign. You hit me, I'm hitting you back. You hit me once, I'm hitting you twice. And I am going to get you as much as you're getting me. And so we're starting the campaign on social media, sound ballot is sleazy. Hashtag sound ballot is sleazy. And that's what's, you know, we're going we're gonna to attack you and we're going to go get every bit of information about you and we're going to find out about you and tax returns about you and everything else and we're going to get you. Nehemiah never stoops that low. Nehemiah goes, that's not true. Let me get back to work. And how elegant is that? Nehemiah is so elegant in the way he goes about it. And he only asked God this one thing. He says, God, would you just keep our hands steady? Meaning, I'm asking, Lord, that you would continue to have us, have our morale, our solidarity, our steady work with the job. All I want, Lord, is that you keep our hands strong. There is a quote from D.L. Moody, the great pastor and evangelist from a century ago now. And D.L. Moody writes it this way. He says, if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. And I might even just add on that, if I take care of my character, 
God takes care of my reputation. I, I don't have to worry about that. So I'm not going to try to make sure that everybody thinks a certain way about me. They're going to hey, they're going to think whatever they're going to think. I'm taking care of my character. I'm taking care of my love for God, my love for people. And the rest of the chips fall where they may. And Nehemiah just demonstrates this so well to us. And I love his response. First of all, you know, I got a steady work here. I got an important work here. I can't come. And secondly, ah, are you kidding me? The things you're saying are not even true. I'm just moving on with my work. Let's go. There's one more thing that Nehemiah does, and I want you to see this. There's uh, the, 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 the thing that is really motivating them the entire time is fear. And he says, I'm going to stay clear of the fear mongers. And of course, that's what they've been doing throughout this entire passage is they've been trying to incite fear because if he's too afraid, he won't continue. And so the last shenanigan they have is just the one that takes the cake. And it's maybe a little bit difficult to follow in the scriptures because there's so many names kind of flowing around. And so maybe this, this kind of you know, passed over you and you're like, oh, I'm not sure I caught that. So let me explain to you what happens here as their last grasp at trying to, to derail him. There's a guy named Shemaiah. Shemaiah is probably a priest, or at least he's close to the temple and the, the work of the temple. And for whatever reason, he is seconded to home. He, he can't leave home. I think it's probably because he's wanting to make sure Nehemiah thinks he's afraid because this is what happens next. He calls Nehemiah and says, come visit me. And I think Nehemiah goes because he wants to, you know, this is a, a priest. He might have a word from God for me. I, I don't want to neglect this guy. I want to pay attention to him. So he goes to his home and he says to him, you know your life's on the line, right? There, there's a hit squad coming after you. There's a, a kill order that's out on your life. And so here's what you should do. You should run away right now. In fact, come to the temple and join me at the temple in order for you to secure safety for yourself. Now, there is something that I'm sure Nehemiah knows. I mean, hey, there could be some individuals out there that want to get me, but there's a tip-off in what he says that is a little off. And Nehemiah is a very discerning guy. And so Nehemiah is like, I smell a rat. I smell a rat. And here's why. Nehemiah knows this. A priest can go inside the temple. A common person cannot. And so he is inviting me to go for security and safety inside the inner part of the temple, and I'm not allowed there. So he is actually asking me to sin against what God tells me I should not be doing in order to try to go and be safe. That's a, that's a tip-off. There's something that's wrong with this. I should not be doing this, and so I am not going to be falling for their fear-mongering and disobey God. Furthermore, he discovers, guess what? This guy is actually, uh, he, he's actually on the payroll of my two enemies. So my two enemies have a priest for hire here that's giving false information. And so again, he sniffs all of this out and he says, I'm not falling for this. I'm not going for this. He said, should such a man as I run away? And should such a man as I go into the temple? No way. Don't count on me to do that. And so Nehemiah does something very important. First of all, he sniffs out that this guy's trying to deceive him. I mean, sure, he might be in some level of risk, but the hit squad's not coming. I mean, he just made that up. 
And they're trying to get him off of his game so that he'll now go hide and he'll disobey God and therefore lose, again, the, uh, the authority with his people. And so he says, I'm not doing that. Nehemiah does one more super important thing that I want you to see. And this is what he says. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Nodaiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Why is that important? Because when you face opposition, you can fight that on your own all you want, but the right place to go with that is actually to God. God knows how to deal with those kinds of people all the time and has demonstrated in the scriptures that he does it with just, just easily. And, and he just turns the corner on that like that and he just stops those individuals in their tracks. And so Nehemiah does the wisest thing and he says, you know these guys that are causing me so much problems, God, I'm giving them over. They're in your hands. And I'm asking you to take care of them in ways that, that I don't even know if I understand how to, but I'm asking you to do that. And so he gives his enemies to God God's the one capable of handling them. And let me remind you of one other quote that's from a favorite author of mine. And uh, he's the one that wrote my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers. And this is what Oswald Chambers says. He says, it's the most natural thing in the world to be, a, to be scared. And the clearest evidence that God's grace is at work in our hearts is when we do not get into the panics. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Nehemiah, he's fearing God, and so the other people are just window dressing, and he, mo he moves on. Nehemiah had to persevere against much adversity to finish the project, and he faced some of his stiffest competition or stiffest adversity right near the end of the project. The bad actors really came out at that time. And fear was their major tool. I want you to see how this chapter ends. We already read it once, but I want you to see it again. Because if fear was their major tool, fear happens a different way now towards the end of the story. And this is the way the story ends. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elul, in 52 days. And when our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were, here it is, afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So the fear was being put onto Nehemiah, but when Nehemiah stands up against that, gives it over to God, where does the fear go? The fear goes now back upon the individuals that have been promoting that. And they have the fear because they're like, whoa, as much as we do, God is behind these guys, and God is the one that keeps on building the city before our very eyes, miraculously, and therefore we are the ones that are really on the back foot here because God is going for them. God is uh, making the way for them. The tool that, again, was being put onto Nehemiah is coming back to them, and here is the thing I want you to hear. You're going to face adversity in order to complete any major project of significance, and you are going to have to persevere to the end. Somebody here right now is writing some sort of thesis you're going to have to persevere to the end. Somebody has a big project at work, maybe of the last decade that you're working on right now, you're going to have to persevere to the end. Somebody's in the middle of a sports season, and maybe that sports season's not going all that well, you're going to have to persevere to the end. Maybe somebody's rehabbing an injury, and it's taken a lot of work, and you've got to keep at it, you're going to have to persevere to the end. 
Maybe somebody's recovering from an addiction. That's very difficult to do. You're going to have to persevere to the end. Maybe somebody's trying to face a big exam. You're trying to get over a law degree or some other major thing where you got a big test. You're going to have to persevere to the end. And all of us are going to have to persevere in our faith. There's a doctrine in the church called the perseverance of saints. It's one we believe in, one most churches in the world believe in. And here's what it says. You have to keep faith to the end. You have to remain loyal to the end. You're not perfect to the end. That's not the deal. But your loyalty to Jesus is remaining intact through thick and thin. And you're saying, he's mine and I'm his to the end. And you're just demonstrating that you want to be his. And that's valuable. And it takes effort to persevere. Let me remind you all today that in order to persevere in Christ, you have to be in Christ. And this is the gospel message. None of us are perfect. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus comes into the world knowing that. And Jesus comes, leads a perfect life in perfect obedience to Christ in order that he would go and take on the sins, your sins, my sins, as he goes to the cross, as he put, is put in a grave, and he rises again. And Jesus says that anybody that comes to him and receives this message, this message of forgiveness, this message of new life, is now his, is now his disciple is now in loyalty and allegiance to him. And he says, now I come in. I not only forgive, but I'm creating a new path forward. In order to persevere, you have to begin, right? You have to be in Christ to begin in order to persevere with him. And that's what I want to remind everybody today, that it's easy to start off again with Christ because he's offering you a get-out-of-jail-free card. He's saying, either you're going to pay for your sin or I'll pay for your sin. And I think I like the equation where he pays for my sin. He's, he's, he's expert at that. He's already accomplished that. And it's my job then to just say yes to him. As we close today, I want to offer that opportunity for some t- today to say yes to Jesus for the first time and for all of us to persevere. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we come to you thanking you again for Nehemiah and the word that is so real and lively and active even today. And for those individuals here today that have said, wow, I'm understanding who Jesus is. And Jesus is this one who wishes to give me forgiveness and new life. I like that. I want that. And I pray, Lord, that they would say yes to you in just the quietness of their heart and that would begin to unfold what that means and the ramifications of that and new life would begin to flood into them. Joy and peace and happiness and security in you would all be theirs. For all the rest of us, Lord, we look at Nehemiah's life and we recognize this life of following you, it's not without its hurdles and it's not without its adversity, but you teach us how to persevere. I'm thankful that it happened with Nehemiah and I'm thankful that it's happened with countless others over thousands of years thank you Lord for this thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit who comes to walk with us and give us the power to continue 
We thank you for perseverance today, and we ask that you would persevere through us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.